This is Dune Talk, a DuneNewsNet.com production. Join us now for the latest Dune news, reactions, and lively discussions. This is a special episode of Dune Talk where we're going to be getting into the everything that came out of the Venice Film Festival. So there's been a lot of uh, reviews, a lot more interviews, news. Um, we also have the, the soundtrack from, from Hans Zimmer. It's been an exciting week. And yes, people have seen uh, the Dune movie where one day after the premiere, uh, there's been reactions all over the internet. So it's a, a really exciting time to, to be a Dune fan. Uh, so this is uh, Marcus Gabriel, your editor at uh, Dune Newsnet, and I'm here today with Garen. Hey, it's Garen with Dune Companion. Um, just my blood pressure is at a normal rate right now, and I'm just really excited to talk about this. So uh, this is Johnny, and uh, yeah, I am uh, still coming down from the whole last like 24, 36 hours, 48 hours, where it was a lot of uh, build up, and then the floodgates open. So um, yeah, I'm really excited to get in and talk to you guys about it and hear your thoughts and, and uh, share our thoughts with everyone else. Hey, Simon here. A uh, little bit caffeinated because it's early in the morning. Um, really excited to talk about this. It's officially here. Uh, t- today we, we have a special re- returning uh, guest, uh, Mark from Dune Info. And, uh, yes, I'm the fortunate one because I, I was in the correct time zone for all the, the Venice <laughs> news. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you, you got a head start on on all the reading. <laughs> so, and uh, Mark, uh, I, I know that uh, we, we've had the, the release of the the Dave Dave Lynch uh, 1984, the the 4K edition. Yep. And you you already received that. Yep. So that it comes in multiple editions. This is the limited edition, uh, the Dulux edition steelbook, which comes with a very nice uh, design of Dune book, which has got lots of pictures by Ron Miller and uh, Tony Masters in there about the pre-production art. Uh, and I was fortunate enough to be invited to contribute to that. So I've got a nice associate producer credit at the start. So I'm yeah. very happy to have this finally in my hands. Yeah, congratulations. So is Mark officially Dune Canon now? <laughs> <laughs> yes, whatever I say goes. So. Okay, so let's jump straight into the movie news. Dune Movie News. Yesterday we, we had the uh, world premiere of, uh, of Dune at the Venice Film Festival. So we, we saw, of course, uh, the, the press, uh, press conference as well as the red, red carpet with all the, the cast and crew. And then once the, the actual screening started, we had the embargo was, was lifted and we had a flood of reviews and reactions uh, posted on online so there, there's really a, a lot a lot out there whether it's the professional reviews uh, from from all the major uh, media outlets uh, and we've we've had um, uh, waves of uh, of uh, reviews from the viewers who, who have seen it the past day at Venice or some people who have, who have seen the, the movie earlier like a couple months ago for for reviews but are now finally allowed to, uh, to talk, talk about that so the first thing that uh, I wanted to uh, address, so there have been people like summarizing these reviews. So let's see if we have a consensus among us. Are these largely positive, overwhelmingly positive, or are these mixed reviews? So let me start with you, Mark. I'd say they were pretty much uh, positive reviews. There are a couple of uh, negative nancies and naysayers in there, as we were discussing earlier before we started recording, but... Um, yeah, 
I'd say they are overwhelmingly positive. Yeah, uh, Johnny, I want to hear hear your thoughts as, as well. Specifically, there, there, there were some uh, some headlines talking about that Dune opens to mixed reviews. I mean, this isn't really like a matter of opinion <laughs> at this point. Like it's it's I mean, you, there's, you know, metrics and, and data that you can use um, to get an answer to this question. Um, you know, Rotten Tomatoes, you know, as a, as a review aggregator does take all the reviews, um, you know, published and, and available to read and access and they take them all together. And, and they the Rotten Tomatoes score that everyone gets is a percentage of what the reviews are as as good versus bad. And they are it's very much that binary kind of down the middle, which isn't the most, you know, accurate and nuanced way of looking at film reviews. And generally I don't like Rotten Tomatoes because it does kind of mislead people in a lot of ways. But if we're talking about positive versus negative, right now there's 34 reviews in so far, which is about, you know, roughly the last 24 hours since the reviews have come out. Um, and 85% of them are positive. There's 29 positive, five negative. Um, average rating is at 8.2 out of 10, um, which is right on par with Villeneuve's other films, which have all been uh, really, really well received. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, the headlines you you refer to are misleading. Again, as I as that is really the only way you can really describe it because they are not split reviews. They're not mixed reviews because when you're thinking about the word split and mixed that suggests down the middle that suggests you know that there is a a very much even um number of people uh disagreeing over you know the their thoughts on the movie and that's really not the case and i think if you went and looked at the actual um headlines and the reviews and ratings and scores of all the individual um reviews and and outlets that went uh, ahead and had things to say yesterday i think that's pretty pretty easily reflected and i think if uh you know, just scroll down Twitter's timeline and you can kind of get the general gist without even needing to kind of compile the numbers. You can just feel um, the energy, I would say. Touch on that point you mentioned about uh, Rotten Tomatoes, because obviously, yeah, it's, it's great because they, they aggregate the reviews. You have like a, a clear percentage, which, which gives you an, an indication of, um, you know, how the reviews are, are trending. Uh, but even then, there, there are some misleading things. So I wanted to... Um, Point out one one review that I was looking at earlier, which was from the Independent uh, UK uh, by uh, Clarice uh, Lowry, and it was a, a glowing review. Uh, so let me just read the, the headline: uh, Dune review, spectacular sci-fi adaptation is this generation's Lord of the Rings trilogy. And um, going into one of the um, uh, quotes from that review. It is a film of such literal and emotional largeness that it overwhelms the senses. If it if all goes well, it should reinvigorate the book's legacy in the same way Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy uh, did for J.R.R. Tolkien's work. So th this is a, a glowing review. I mean, this this is like like re really excited to see this. And this isn't the only review that that made the comparison. We've we've been hearing this for. Uh, for already people involved with uh, with the production for for a while, and uh, also now now we're seeing this in multiple of the professional reviews as well, some of the early early reactions as well. So uh, yeah, like really excited to, to see this. Now, if you go to Rotten Tomatoes, what did they? Of course, they mentioned that that the review is 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 fresh, so it's a positive review. But look at their quote: um, the casting choice is poor. It's a small but noticeable chip in the paint when it comes to Dune. 
a work that's otherwise of such intimidating grandeur that it's hard to believe it even exists in her first place. So that really stood out to me because if you, if you read that that whole review, um, it's basically, you know, the, the whole thing is, is a glowing review. And then all the way at the bottom, she makes a sort of like almost a footnote about like her uh, view on, on the casting uh, choices, which we can maybe get into uh, uh, after. But but then like that's the first thing that, that's mentioned in, in Rosin Tomatoes uh, summary. So I think um, that that's like a word of advice to everybody. Like okay, look at those those overall numbers because they they do give you an, an indication of of where you know what the feel is in this case of the uh, the press. But uh, when you look at the reviews, definitely like read through some of the reviews in in full because you're not always getting that that full uh, full summary. Uh, so let's go over to you, Garen. What, what was your um, like? What's your impression about the overall sense of these reviews? Yeah, so really excited that overall I'm, I'm just reading, and you really—that's a great point, Marcus. You got to read between the lines. You've really got to—you've got to read into that article and and really uh, dissect it because what what the headline may give you isn't the whole story. And uh, so I think that's a great point you made there. I really am. Uh, super excited. I, you know, I, I one of the first uh, reviews I, I saw was was a negative one. Uh, I think it was David Ehrlich, which was massive disappointment. And and when I saw that, thankfully I had already been prepped by you, Johnny, to know how to navigate uh, a lot of these reviews. And so I was able to take that and just form it into all the other reviews that I read yesterday. And, and, and when you do that, you can stay neutral, you can stay balanced. And honestly, I am, I am just beyond thrilled because I'm seeing and I'm hearing the things that I was hoping to see in, in a lot of these reviews. Um, in fact, your case in, a case in point, like you mentioned, uh, Marcus, is The Hollywood Reporter. So this is uh, Venice Dune Frenzy erupts on social media following first press screenings. So... You know, this is kind of a summary of, of a little bit of, of what people experienced yesterday in, in Venice. But but you have to make sure you read all the way to the end because in in this review, it, it starts all positive uh, regarding, you know, the direction, the, the acting. But then you also see uh, near the end some things about, but it was, it was maybe too much. It was perhaps uh, overdone. There was, I'm, I'm just paraphrasing here, but... And I, I think you have to weigh that all in and, and just make sure that you're you're taking in their whole experience. And and obviously, as a critic, you're you're going to want to share uh, not only the positive, but the things that that maybe didn't feel good to you. And and I just I, re I respect that. That's part of what the process is. But Marcus, overall, I'm I'm just beyond excited because really uh, Things were mentioned relating to great storytelling, um, a lot of really positive comments that I was hoping uh, I would read, and it's coming out in the first in the first round of reviews. So, yes. Simon, what's your overall feel on on the tone of the reviews? Like we were saying before, there's always going to be some negative Nancy ones. Um, Ron Tomato, I love you and I hate you because you're very <laughs> clickbait like to get people's attention. Like, of course, if you see a bad headline, you're going to click on that one more. But overall, I think the reviews have been positive. I've seen a couple where it's like, well, the story was kind of slow. 
I don't know, maybe the person was not familiar with the source material. Let's face it, Dune is kind of slow at some point. Did they think this was going to be an action-packed movie all two and a half hours? No. I do love the one that you mentioned about Lord of the Rings. And it made me go, whoa, Lord of the Rings is 20 years old. There is a whole generation that grew up on that as their Star Wars, as their big motion picture. And now we'll have a new generation growing up with Dune and hopefully a part two, you know. But I think that's going to be announced later this week. Let's hope for that. And uh, yeah, going back to, to Johnny's point, like looking at these, uh, the headlines about the mixed reviews, like it's, it's really easy to debunk that with, with actual uh, data. So I, th- I think at, at the end of the day, like look, look at the, the whole picture, like there, there's, uh, you, you know, like um, the majority of re- reviews on uh, Rotten Tomatoes from the, from the critics are overwhelmingly positive. Uh, th- there are definitely some some which we'll get into from some major media outlets which are quite critical. Uh, so I think that will be an interesting uh, point to discuss about as well. Uh, but then if you go to, to social media and you look at the reactions from people who, who saw the saw the screening, uh, there were people who were who were fans of, of the um, of the book for for uh, decades. There are people who have just gotten to to Dune like a couple of years ago. But like everybody was was talking about like how it was an epic experience and uh, like th- that they were so excited that they wanted to go watch it again. Uh, I was I was even um, uh, uh, talking to someone who was going to see it for the for the second time uh, at at the Venice Film Festival. So you can see that there, there's a lot of excitement and and these uh, th- these showings were were like uh, sold out really quickly. I mean it was it was really hard hard to get these uh, uh, th- these tickets um, and I think. Uh, I think you had mentioned that that Johnny about like how uh, uh, you were talking to someone and they were t- uh, saying that the, the the early showings in in Germany were were already selling out. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, that's not the only person that I had talked to. I mean, there there have been people because now the the places where it's going to be opening in a couple of weeks or less than two weeks now, um, it'll be opening weekend in these places in two weeks. Yeah. Um, a lot of European countries, uh, Western European, especially. Um, and uh, people I talked to Norway, Netherlands, Germany, a lot of them had said that there are local theaters. They, they themselves had already went ahead and got tickets, um, you know, for opening weekend. And they said that there are already some showings that had been sold out. So, um, I mean, that's always a, a good sign. I mean, that's of course, very anecdotal, like evidence of anything, yeah. but, um, I mean, of course you'd rather hear that than, Oh yeah. I'm like the only one that's going to, that's going to be there like that. that I, you know, they're not uh, really having any sort of attention uh, drawn to them, uh, which is good. And of course this is right um, after tickets have come out on sale because they come out about two weeks in advance. So still two weeks, of course, where people are going to be buying them. And then on the weekend itself, of course, most people probably just walk up and buy them. So um, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. That's going to be really, now that Venice and the world premiere has happened, of course, we have Toronto to, um, you know, International Film Festival, uh, which is where Dune is going next on its little uh, world tour, um, which is going to be fun. We'll get more reactions there. We'll get more reviews from outlets and, and critics that uh, weren't able to attend Venice, which will give us, you know, more more data, more numbers, more, uh, you know, quotes and things that we can kind of take into account. Um, but really, I think in a, in a couple of weeks, that's going to be like, the biggest next benchmark is opening weekend. You know, what are people going to be saying about it? Like fans, general, you know, audience, how are the numbers going to look? Um, 
that's something that we'll definitely be keeping an eye on and, and will be, um, you know, some sort of uh, metric again for success and what we can, you know, see going forward potentially, especially in the U.S. release, which is, again, October 22nd. On, on that uh, review that we were mentioning about uh, the IndieWire review, so Johnny, have, have you had actually read through that review? Absolutely not. um because i already know i mean i literally talked about this as mark pointed out um on twitter i just talked about this on the last episode because i was uh, that was i was prefacing the the premiere with the fact that reviews are you know one person's opinion you have to take them read between the lines dig into them a little bit but also take them at you know a certain value and david ehrlich uh is a is a very well-known critic um whether you could call him famous or infamous is probably like, you know, up to your own interpretation. There, there are films that I totally agree with him on 100%. Um, but I'd say the, the majority of the time, at least for me, he kind of, you know, he, he has a very particular taste just like anyone else would. But the reason why I haven't lended any uh, credence to him, and he has gotten a lot of, uh, you know, pushback in, in certain respects. I know that he was kind of getting ratioed on twitter uh with replies and quote tweets and things like that uh um just kind of with people throwing in their two cents um and then on letterbox where he usually posts his reviews um the the replies were deactivated on his on his review so um you know people are going to have their thoughts on him and his his review the the i did see some excerpts from his review to be fair then i did read them um and I, I saw them because people had quote tweeted them or, or had taken them and posted them somewhere else. And they said, wow, like uh, his review just makes me like more excited for the movie because what he's describing is why he didn't like it is why I'm excited or why I would be looking forward to it. Um, there was one quote in particular, I think it said something along the lines of, uh, oh, if you liked uh, Blade Runner 2049, but wanted more uh, aerial shots or sequences of flying over vistas and things like that, and this is going to be right up your alley. And then he like made it like a negative. And I'm like, yeah, those are some of my favorite parts of Blade Runner. I love those like moments and those visuals. So um, I can't really, you know, it's very strange. I don't know. I, 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 the reason I don't read it, like I'm not trying to discount his opinion by any means, but I just know like we're totally in disagreement. Like I'm not, not going to align with it. And the thing that I did read and the other parts that I read, again, were reasons why I would be excited about the movie. I don't really take them as negative. So, um, you know, everyone has to, to form their own opinion, but, um, yeah, I'm not gonna, not gonna read too much of that. And there were other, to be fair, not just to him, but there were other outlets and other critics who did have negative to mixed reviews. Uh, I know variety was one of those, uh, the Hollywood reporter, one of their chief film critics, uh, was very, you know, uh, mixed on it to say the least. So, um, he's not the only one, but again, he's in the minority by far. Um, you know, he's in the 15, you know, 20% potentially that, that did not like it. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, it's not, not a big deal. I'm, again, I'm not going to focus on that or hyper-focus on, on any one particular review. Mark, uh, going uh, to you, like, was there any specific reviews that, that stood out uh, to you especially? Um, yeah, um, Johnny tweeted one out from the icsfilm.org, um, which I, I thought was just a, a very well-written interview. Uh, a lot of the interviews are just almost telling you the story, like the, 
the Cliff Notes version of Arrakis and Caladan and stuff. But the, the ICS one, I thought, had some very nice um, insights into the actual storytelling. Uh, but some of my other favourite ones uh, was uh, there was a Glenn Kenny one on the Roger Ebert uh, site. Um, and the quote that stood out, he gave it three and a half out of five on that. And the quote that stood out to me from that was, to say that I have not admired Villeneuve's prior films is something of an understatement. So how he cannot like any of uh, Denis Villeneuve's previous films, I do not know at all. Um, I know everyone's got the favourites, but I don't know of anyone who hates all of them. Yeah, that that is really interesting. Uh, I, I, the Glenn Kenny one in particular, I thought was interesting because he um, there's another critic that uh, I think writes for RogerEbert.com, and he tweeted out the review, like a link to it, and said that he was really like heartened by his reaction because he kind of really trusts Glenn. Um, and these these are guys who are very much like. I mean, they're experts, like in film. These uh, people writing for Roger Ebert are very much versed, like in cinema, and have studied film. Probably went to school for film, so that's a very kind of distinct niche of the film critic, um, you know, community versus something like uh, IGN or Games Radar, which are much more, you know, basic entertainment like reviews and, and thoughts. But there was one tweet as well by Jeff Vandermeer, uh, which kind of sums up a, a lot of the things we've been discussing, which is. Uh, from the June movie advanced reviews, I gather the movie is too long, too short, and just right. The story is too slow, too fast, and perfectly paced. The filmmaking traditions are traditional, but avant-garde, and also of the moment. And that I will enjoy, I will enjoy it, except when I don't. One other thing I was going to mention too, Mark, was that with the Roger Ebert reviews in particular, like Glenn Kenny. They actually do their star system is out of four. So three and a half out of four, that's oh, that really that's story? yeah, that's really quite good. Like that's like an eighty-five out of one hundred, eighty-seven out of one hundred or something like that, if you were to calculate it. So that's really I'm very much on the higher end, um, which again is good. I noticed I even looking at something like Metacritic, there are several perfect scores of like one hundreds, you know, ten out of ten scores that I've seen so far. Um, which is interesting. And that's from a number of places, Total Film, The, the Telegraph, Empire, The Guardian. So uh, a variety of uh, different you know, outlets and critics. Yeah, GameSpot, GamesRadar, Telegraph, Independent, The Guardian, all gave it 100%, which is 5 out of 5, 10 out of 10, whatever their scoring systems are. So yeah, there's a, a lot of good grades out for it. And I think a lot of the reviews have also been saying stuff that we all came away from the IMAX preview knowing that, you know, this is a film that needs to be seen in the cinema. Um, you know, it's it's huge, it's fast, it's um, almost like a biblical ed epic and Hans Zimmer score. And I think it's kind of odd that uh, one of Villeneuve's next films is going to be Cleopatra because that's one of the O-style Hollywood blockbusters, one of those vast epic um cinematic experiences so from you know june to cleopatra he's villain who is definitely one of the um top uh filmmakers i think in in that sort of old hollywood tradition yeah and and, and going to that uh that quote you were mentioning mark from uh from jeff uh, van der Meer, i think that that perfectly represents it because like 
you know, the, the critics' reviews, they, they obviously have a, have a key, key role uh, here, but th these are, at the end of the day, different uh, opinions. And, like, uh, almost everywhere I've seen, like, people praising Han Hans Zimmer's score for IndieWire, uh, David Ehrlich, that, that Johnny was, was talking about, like, he, he basically, like, uh, almost uh, slammed the score, so, you know, like, so, you know, at, at the end of the day, these, these are op opinions. Some people are going to have, like, strong opinions uh, either one way or another. Uh, the thing to keep in mind with the critics' reviews is we're, we're talking, you know, like um, 30, 40 re reviews uh, at the moment. And it, it is a small, small sample size, right? And keep in mind that uh, eventually these are going to open also to the audience scores, and that's going to open to a, a much larger uh, sample size. And that's also a very important uh, data point that we don't have, have yet. Um, yeah, from a mathematical background, I can tell you it's such a small sample size that, you know, one or two negative reviews and it, it throws the percentage way down. Um, so hopefully once we get some higher numbers, uh, volume of numbers, uh, we'll see a more accurate and representative score. But hopefully it's going to push it up. So <laughs> <laughs> one comment I have going back to the whole social media thing is... I know my my Twitter feed is very Dune-centric, but I feel like it was getting a lot more attention than the Chang-Chi movie that just came out from Marvel. I feel like some people were tweeting about that in general, but I feel like Dune was very much trending on Twitter more than Chang-Chi was. And that's a good sign. No, I mean, that's, that's an interesting point. I mean, I even tweeted about that. I said, you know, this is this is after, like, kind of in the wake of the, premiere the red carpet and the reviews you know flooding in um and i i don't know where it peaked at if this was probably the peak but it, it had like sixty thousand uh tweets and over sixty thousand tweets and it was at like right around number five like trending uh in the u.s as far as like what you know what people were talking about and yeah that's that's pretty impressive because you know keep in mind the vast majority of the people who are tweeting about it have not even seen the movie <laughs> they're just they're just talking about it, um, talking about what people have said and, and the reviews and um, their kind of their own excitement about it, which is uh, always uh, heartening, I think. Um, and, you know, this is still in the U.S. where it's trending. And this movie is a month and a half away. So I think once they they're really going to build on this in the premiere. And I said this in the the discord like last night before I went to bed. I was like, I'm really looking forward to, and I can't wait for all the TV spots and the online advertisements and, and the other things that they're going to use in the coming weeks. I, like, for example, getting into football season here in the U.S., which is huge. You know, there's going to be a lot of TV spots I can already see where they're going to be highlighting the big action sequences and the kind of spectacle for the general, like, people who are going to be watching and, and kind of drawing them in. But using the reviews from this and using the reviews from TIFF and in general, the, the high ratings, those, you know, 5 out of 5, 10 out of 10, and using those pull quotes and things like in the actual advertisements and using that to kind of, you know, uh, drive excitement, I think is that's always a key for any film. But I think for this one in particular, where you're really trying to show that it's accessible and that people can watch it and enjoy it without knowing anything else. I think that's, you know, especially important. Well, it's funny that you mentioned football. So I'm not a big American football fan, but I'm more of a soccer fan. But I wonder if, like other big movies, maybe on a Monday night. Do they even do Monday night football anymore? I feel like it's Sunday night football, right? Yeah, yeah, they do. Okay. Uh, sometimes I feel like they do stuff for Monday night football, showing like an exclusive first clip, 
So maybe they will do something like that. Maybe they will show an exclusive first clip to get people's attention. Like I remember when the Star Wars sequels were coming out, a couple of trailers hit during Monday Night Football. So maybe we'll get even a, I don't want to say another trailer, but maybe an exclusive clip from it. So it's good press in general. Like you said, they'll, we'll start getting more marketing stuff. We'll get more teaser spots. And the World Series will start soon also in baseball. So baseball playoffs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely a good point, uh, Simon. I think, um, and the, what we've been saying for a little while now, especially the last couple of weeks, because things have been ramping up so much, is that the marketing has been really spot on and they've been kind of going, I think, the extra mile in a lot of places to uh, make smart decisions and kind of get a wide uh, a blanket out there. Um, and I think that's we're going to see even more of that from now on. Yep. I'm wondering if we're going to see the first 10 minutes posted on YouTube, yeah. which is... They've done that before for other movies, and they seem to have resurrected it recently. So mm-hmm. the 10 minutes we yeah. saw at the IMAX, it seems like that would be a perfect thing for them to put on YouTube. When they do that, I've no idea, because there's five weeks difference between France to America yeah. uh, in terms of release dates. Yeah, I think yeah, that's a good point as well, Mark. Um, that is something that has been resurrected lately, uh, especially during the pandemic, I think, just to give people a little extra taste of it, you know, um, and uh, I, th- I think that that would be a, certainly a s- viable option. I think that people would really like to see that. Um, whether or not they do it remains to be seen. I, I think if they were, it'd probably be closer to the U.S. release for sure, probably. Maybe it's something they would do, like, you know, when tickets are going on sale or something um, to kind of drive people that direction. But yeah, they a lot of options for sure. And talking of marketing, I don't know if you've seen the, uh, the June-Avatar.com website which came out maybe today. I'm not sure when it was released, but uh, you do it, you do it on your phone and you can create your own avatar in a steel suit or um, a trade's armor. Really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm doing after this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, they're definitely going all, all out on, on all the, all the touch points. I think uh, we're, we're probably going to be surprised by, by what we get in the next couple of weeks as well. Um, Gary wanted to hear from you like were there specific reviews or, or quotes that, that really stood out to you yeah and, and I, I'm not getting in a defensive position I'm, I'm just acknowledging you know all the different opinions like like everyone's been talking about but the Variety uh, review by Owen Gleiberman uh, Dune review spectacular and engrossing until it isn't and and this is probably classified as one of the, the negative reviews although Again, as you read between the lines, he, he's making these points that this is fantastic world building on a scale that we haven't seen <clears throat> since, you know, Lord of the Rings or Star Wars. And, and so it's kind of a veiled compliment. But where he gets hung up is on why was this split into two films? Because we're, as you're nearing the end of part one, he's saying, you know, there's just too many uh, hanging chads. There's just too many unresolved plot points, but that's the very nature of having a part one and a part two. So even though you can read this as a criticism, um, I know because of even an interview that happened, you know, uh, just recently, and I, I saw this morning, Denis is trying to make the point that I didn't want to do this in one film. The whole point is to do it in two films so that we can have a complete experience and, and, and capture more of the source material. So 
so you know some of these uh, art, some of these reviews, while while they at first seem so negative, and some of them are, um, really it's 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 latching onto a point that is something that was a decision made very early on before the production of this film started. So, you know, I'm okay with the criticism about I don't like this being split into to part one and part two. I want to have I want to sit there for two and a half hours and I want to have the whole story given to me. But that's what you can't do. If you know anything about this book, you realize that that's not the wisest way to go about telling the story. So, uh, again, to me, that's a criticism, but it it works for me because I realize there's going to be people who don't understand the dynamic of, of the length of the story. And, and so they just want something that's just compact and, and a typical you know length of a film that they're used to seeing. But this is different. And I, that's what I love about this film. This film is different. And we're experiencing that. We're seeing it in the reviews. And different is good. And, and that's what we want to we wanna see happen. So, um, yeah, so that was some thoughts I had about, uh, about uh, the Variety uh, review. A great, great point there. Because, um, you, you know, there, there's this sense, I've seen it, like, even in other media forms that, like, some people like have that like really strong reaction like for example even if they finish a, a book and then they realize you know it's, it's the first part of, of the next book and at, at the end of the day they, they, I like that, that's sometimes difficult to understand I mean if it's a good story at the end of the day you, you want uh, more of it but uh, yeah I think Garen like like you're saying like the the overall message from from that review is is positive but it seems that uh, yeah they're, they're getting hung up on that that one point which is it's by the design right like They, they say right at the beginning of the movie that this is uh, Dune, Dune part part one, and like if they had tried to make this one one movie, I can tell you for sure. Like, and we, you know, we've seen the evidence; it would have been a disaster. So, like, th this is this is intentional. The, the scope of this this story is 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 huge, and it has to be told over over two films. There, there's just no no other way around it. And I think to get hung up on like how how the movie ends and like of course i, I respect the, the opinion but um you know i think that, that doesn't do justice to everything that that happens in this first movie i mean i i haven't seen the whole whole movie yet i've seen the, the footage uh from the imax preview but there, there's so much great stuff in there so, so just to like you know like leave on the point that oh it, it's uh it, it ended and it's not the full full story i, I don't think that's a strong argument Let me just read this uh, at the end of this uh, Owen Gleiberman article. He says, uh, the giant sandworms who are protectors of the spice and burrow through the desert like a sinister underground tornado until they reveal themselves. They're like monstral nostrils that suck in everything in front of them are good for, for a moment or two of old fashioned creature feature awe. But really, what do they have to do with anything? So that sentence right there <laughs> makes me want to see this film, right? But, but the fact that he's saying, but what are these worms doing here? What does this have to do with anything? I don't want to come across as elitist, right? But that is the basis of the story, right? The worms have this incredible underlying part to play in this story. And the fact that he's like, what do these things have to do with anything? Well, that's going to be revealed. That's why, that's why you're going to stay in it because you're interested in Obviously, these things do have something to do with the story. They wouldn't be so monstrous and enormous in the plot. So anyway, I, I see from his point of view, it would be like, what is this? This is dumb. But to us, we know what that means. We know that it's, it's pivotal to the, the, the telling of the story. Well, you can tell someone yeah. never read the book. 
just <laughs> or has been asleep, you know, the sleeper has definitely not been awakened in his life yet. The Worms are a crucial character. Even watching clips of the 84 movie, everyone knows Sandworms, Dune. It's even memes on the internet about Dune. Come on, my guy. Like, do some homework. <laughs> yeah, in that same review as well, they, they, they talked about how the melange is a metaphor for oil and also a metaphor for drugs. Yeah, you know well, what? It I, it's not even a metaphor for drugs. It is a drug. <laughs> <it's> a drug. <laughs> you know what? I uh, found the metaphor when I was a little kid. I was maybe nine or ten. I mean, like, hmm, this feels like it's in the Middle East. Hmm, oil? I don't know. Come on. But uh, um, going back to what Gary was saying about the, you know, the two-partedness, it's I think it's June's strength, but also its weakness. Because we all know, you know, it can't be done as one film uh, and give it justice. But that means you've got to cut it off somewhere. And that's going to leave people hanging. Uh, and you can say that's a good thing. It's a cliffhanger. But also, if it's if some people feel it's unsatisfactory ending, then that could perhaps, you know, not have a negative impact on the film. Uh, but hopefully we get enough for a part two and then all those worries will be resolved and people can do it as a five-hour marathon if that's what they want to do and experience the whole story from start to finish. But if not, then at least the book sales will go up because people want to buy the book to see how the film ends. Yeah. Going back to the Lord of the Rings then, let's not forget the fellowship kind of ends with, oh, so we spent two and a half hours for them just to become a group of people that's going to go drop off a ring. And we never see the ring getting dropped off. So come on. It says part one in the beginning. I have to say, like, pat myself on the back. Like, when I'm, I'm not always right, but when I'm right, I, I'm right. And I feel like in this instance, like, the, these reviews and reactions were definitely, like, I felt like were a vindication of how I, how confident I was, like, in the movie. Um, but there were definitely certain things I was nervous about to a degree, just because people had been expressing their own nervousness about it. Um, you know, reviewers or critics or, or what have you. And so when other people are feeling that way, you're like, well, hopefully you don't feel that way when it actually comes time to, uh, to watch it. And a few of those things that I just had in mind, and I think were really heavily addressed in the reviews and a lot of the reactions I saw, and I'm going to go through and read some of them, but um, one, I, you know, how accessible can the movie be? Because, that's a big question. I mean, just look at the David Lynch Dune. I think probably its biggest failure is that it just is so like dense. It feels like the novel, but even more like, you know, convoluted because it's being translated into this other medium. Um, and then also, you know, we know it's going to be this big, epic, visually stunning, orally impressive, you know, immersive, um, you know, experience, but, you know, what do people think of the characters? Like, do they care about the characters? Do they feel anything when they're watching it? Um, or are they getting kind of lost, like, in, like, the big, you know, scale of it all? Um, and then also, like, the pacing, just how the film feels. Because we know it's over two and a half hours long. A lot of times these days, I feel like critics and people complain a little bit more about length just because the average runtime is getting so much longer, it seems like. Um, so does it, in 2049, a lot of people were like, you know, it's it not only is it a longer movie than Dune, but it's also definitely it seems like it would be a slower movie by comparison, even though, you know, I haven't seen, you know, Dune yet. Um, 
but a lot of these, I was very, very happy to see a lot of these did hit exactly on those things that I was talking about. So let's see, for example, uh, Jack King, he said he was impressed by the balance it achieved between sweeping grandiosity and ample characterization, great performances. Um, Raphael Motomayor said, everything I wanted and more, not super familiar with the books, but I found it to be compelling, fast pace, epic space opera with a surprising amount of pathos, uh, career best performance by Timothy Chalamet and by Jason Momoa. Um, Leonardo Goy, he said, did something frankly I did not expect. It made those 155 minutes fly by, embedding you in the world. Um, Stephen Weintraub was talking about how it wasn't just a, you know, a masterpiece of sci-fi, but of cinema in general, did all the things that you would want to get out of a movie. Um, we were talking about also uh, Lindsay Barr. She said, I went in knowing nothing and was completely hypnotized by the world. It felt thrilling, but it was also, also emotionally authentic. Um, and so in a lot of these, you are seeing, you know, they're talking about okay, yeah, it's as big and as epic and as detailed as something like Lord of the Rings. Okay, we kind of knew that. Like, we we were anticipating that. But for someone that doesn't know anything about these movies, do you feel like people could enjoy it without knowing anything else? Um, Rafael Motemora, he also tweeted, it feels like the pop culture event we've been waiting for. It feels like the next Star Wars or next Lord of the Rings or next Game of Thrones. Um, it's here, and not only is it epic, he said, it's also just giddy fun. Don't let anyone tell you this is Star Wars for adults. Anyone can enjoy this story. So I think that speaks a lot to, you know, uh, this was something that we had talked about and the fans had talked about for a long time, whether it was on Reddit or, or what have you. But is it going to be rated R? Are they going to go really dark with it? You know, Blade Runner 2049 was a big budget rated R film. And I was always pretty much of the stance having read the book and, and, having a feel for it that it didn't need to be rated R by any stretch and, and knowing that you really can get away with a lot of stuff um, these days with a PG 13 rating. Um, so I'm really, that was something I was glad to hear. I was not really expecting to hear is that this can be accessible even to, you know, younger teenagers and kids, if they, you know, if they go together, like as a family or something, it's a coming of age story at its heart. And I think everyone who's, you know, us reading the books know that as well. Um, especially depending on when we read it the first time. So yeah, I was really, really happy. Even Polygon did a, uh, I believe uh, an article saying that the thing that they were most impressed about with this movie was how they said the biggest surprise of 2021's Dune, Denis Villeneuve makes Frank Herbert's deeply dense space opera accessible. Uh, our spoiler-free first look at how the film serves fans and newcomers at the same time. So, yeah, overall, super happy. I mean, people saying that Timothy Chalamet's best performance, oh, it's Oscar Isaac's best performance, Rebecca Ferguson. Um, you know, they were emotionally, they cried during the movie, and even though they went in knowing nothing about it. Uh, I mean, that's that speaks a lot, I think, to just what Villeneuve and, and the cast and crew have done, making this such a big, like, epic thing, but also the little details and scene to scene moment to moment stuff where, you know, getting you invested in the characters and in the story. That's the most important thing. Look at Lord of the Rings. People love those movies because they are big and epic and they are, they look amazing. They sound amazing, but they also really love the characters. They love Frodo. They love Sam. 
they love, you know, uh, the scenes with Boromir and, and uh, Aragorn. And, and that's why they go back to those movies so often is because they love, you know, spending time with those characters and like kind of going on that journey with them. So I think if you can do that with this first movie as a part one, especially get people itching and wanting that part two, which again, a lot of these people said when the movie ended, I was ready to see more. Like I, I was, I'm dying to see a part two and it would be a travesty if it doesn't happen. Um, I think that that to me overall, my overall feelings on everything we have seen and read so far was the most heartening and impressive thing, I think, because it just was I was expecting everything else that those aspects were what I was kind of hoping to see the most. And, and I think we've gotten that in spades, quite honestly. Yeah, and I, I love that, that point about uh, the accessibility of, of the movie, because we, we, of course, seen, seen some some glowing reviews. Um, about uh, you know how if you're a Dune fan you know you're you're gonna love this like for example um, uh, Empire magazine they gave this uh, five out of five stars and uh, uh, one of the quotes um, and for science fiction devotees especially those who have long worshipped uh, Frank Herbert's dense tome and waited decades for it to be brought on screen in a more successful incarnation than the previous filmmakers have managed make no mistake Villeneuve's Dune is the adaptation you've you've always dreamed dreamed of. So, uh, so, so that's that's great to hear as as uh, as someone who's who's been a Dune fan for for decades. Um, but then, uh, to your point about uh, Johnny, about some of these people, like I saw tons of reactions on on Twitter about people who are going into this. I guess you could say blind, not, not having known about source material. They've maybe like seen the trailer, been excited about you know what, what was shown on this, but they were blown away, and it didn't seem like they they were having any any issues with understanding you know, what the movie w was about, because I guess at the end of the day, like uh, part one, I guess it's, it's great because it's, it's taking its time to introduce those, those characters. Like there's going to be more complexity potentially coming in part two, but uh, for example, what we saw in the, in the IMAX that the, the breakfast scene with, uh, with, with Paul and Jessica, you know, th those moments which, which give people time to connect with those, those characters, it seemed that we're going to get a good, a good, good amount of those and allow people to, to connect with, um, with these characters and yeah, leave them want, wanting to, to see more of them. Oh, just real quick. I was going to mention uh, because more people are seeing the film today. Uh, there are several screenings going on at Venice right now. Um, we're getting of course more reviews, but also I think it's important because now that, because you're going into the first day and with the world premiere and everything, you might've heard some things as someone going into the screening, but you haven't been to the screening yet. And there's a lot of people are, that are about to watch it. Um, last night. So last night it comes out, there's all these glowing reviews, reactions. So now as someone that's seeing it today, I feel like maybe you have to, you, you're really kind of like, wow, my expectations are really high now. I hope, you know, I feel like there's a chance of being underwhelmed because you're expecting so much based on what you they've heard. Cody Derricks, uh, who is a critic who is at the festival right now, he saw it today. Um, and he tweeted earlier, I thought was interesting. He said, as a non-fan of the book, uh, Dune blew me away. It's heavy duty, unyielding sci-fi and proud of it. But unlike some other similar films, the narrative stays incredibly focused and clear. So he loved it. Um, and again, he emphasized that I'm not someone who's read the book, not a fan of it in any way. And it still like blew me away. And I still think it's incredibly focused on the narrative and the story. And, and you're not going to get lost in that if you're not you know, a, a fan of the book. Go ahead, Gary. You guys, um, I was a young teenager when I saw Lynch's Dune, and and don't get me wrong, I, I, I just still love that movie. But so many people, I've mentioned this before on this podcast, but so many people walked out of that theater 
And the word they said is, I'm just confused. I, I didn't understand <laughs> what was going on. And so you had to have read the book. I, I wrote an article about that. To, to, to really appreciate Lynch's Dune, you have to read the book. I'm, I'm really excited that I'm not seeing the word confused in any of these reviews. I'm not seeing people who are not familiar with the, with the book, not familiar with the story. I'm not hearing that they're walking out and saying, this was dazzlingly beautiful, but I had no idea what was going on. So to me, it, it kind of uh, points to what uh, uh, Javier Bardem said about how the, it feels like this was an indie film with an enormous budget, which I think is something Timothy mentioned in that interview this morning. But that's a great sign to me because that means the intimacy, the interaction of the characters, that's coming through because so often in these big budget action films and even sci-fi films, it can get lost that the character interaction, the intimate level that we relate to as humans can be lost in all of that incredible CGI action. So I'm really excited that I'm not seeing the confusion statement that I remember as a teenager seeing with Lynch's Dune. I think that's a great sign. I don't know how anyone could be confused. They gave away those uh, leaflets, didn't they? With, uh, <laughs> the terminology of the Imperial Arms. So how you just need to read that in the cinema before you watch the film. So I have to do homework before watching a movie. Right. Absolutely. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll get right to that. <laughs> no, but uh, I think your point about being people saying they're not confused is a plus. Because a lot of people that I've shown the 84 movie to, you get the same thing. It was cool, but who was what? And how did that take place? And... I, I lost track after the water and yeah. And going back to watching the lunch movie and like, I love the lunch movie. It's a guilty pleasure. Like it's my gateway drug to Dune. So I, I'm appreciative. It's my spice melange to the Dune world, but it is very, I can see for non book readers where it could be very confused. And my thing I want out of this is people fall in love with characters and I don't want just the Timothy Chalamet fanboys and fangirls to fall in love with him because they're going to get their heart broken if we get a part two. <laughs> um, but I want them to come out of there and be like, whoa, Lady Jessica's my favorite character. Oh, man, I wish I got more Duke Leto. You know, who is this Stillguard guy? Like, he's pretty cool. I hope we see more of him in part two. Like, I want people to fall in love with the characters because I think that's what makes great storytelling. You know, it's great to have a full story, but when you attach to certain characters, and that's something I feel like the Star Wars sequels failed on, you didn't really get time to attach to any of your main new character. Like, as much as I love Poe Dameron, we didn't get to see him that much. You know, it's getting those connections with those characters. And I hope that's something that we start seeing people being like, oh, wow, I really like Piter. He's really weird. I should ask him to join my goth band. <laughs> Marcus, I'm sorry, we're going to have the longest podcast episode ever here, but I, I just wanted to mention something that Eric Davis tweeted. Uh, I think he writes for Rotten Tomatoes. And he said, if WB doesn't let this entire crew make Dune Part 2, it will be a great mistake. There won't be a single person who walks out of Dune without thinking about what comes next. This is a film that needs its counterpart to feel complete. Maybe that's a negative, but it's the truth. Um, I, I, I've read a little bit about uh, maybe and, and intimated what some of these last scenes of part one might be because I, I know the story. And, and to me, 
that kind of goes along with the way um, you know movies and and TV series have changed over the last couple of decades. It's like the Marvel Universe. We're we're used to installments and episodic, big budget film series. So to have people, in, you know, virtually, you know, on the edge of their seat at the end of part one, to me, that's a plus because we're used to that. We experience that with with a lot of the movie uh, franchises that we all love today. So, um, and, and again, we want this to be a franchise, right? We want more of these cliffhangers. We want Dune Messiah and Children of Dune. We want this to happen. So to me, this, this harkens to a really positive uh, response by some of the reviewers. Yeah. yeah. There was a review in uh, Den of Geek by David Crow, and he says, uh, June is an astonishing swing of ambition and passion from filmmakers at the top of their craft. And it more often than not connects like a thunderbolt. As a project that is only meant to start a new cinematic cycle, it left me eager to follow this Paul Villeneuve towards the next strange corner of Arrakis, which I think is summing up uh, what you're saying. Yeah, people, people love the film and they're eager to see a part two and part three and more. The fact that this is two parts, this, this is great, great news to me. Like uh, uh, anywhere you, you cut it, I don't see it can be a negative. Like if, if you're, I mean, okay, if you're expecting to like come in and from the perspective of like uh, solely being a movie fan and you want to get a complete story on, on the screen in, in two, two hours, I, I can understand that argument. But from all other views, this, this is meant to start an, an epic story that's going to be enjoyed by uh, people of, of all the different uh, generations. This is just the beginning, like as uh, we had that important line from, uh, from, from Chani in the, in the last, uh, last episode, which is uh, a really, really key line. Um, so yeah, th this this is just exciting to see that people are like uh, coming out of the, these reviews wanting wanting to see more, and there there is going to be more. There's there's going to be Dune Part Two. There's going to be like the Dune the Sisterhood series. Uh, th there are more books, comics, uh, games uh, coming out. So so this is really the, the start of of something something bigger. And I, and I I understand like the perspective of wanting to like review just looking at the, the movie itself. But I think when it comes to this. Uh, uh, serious this saga you, you have to look look wider in order to give that that complete uh, perspective I can make a point in referencing Star Wars again because I do that a lot I realize um, without spoiling well I guess it's been about six seven months now um, if you look at the season two of the Mandalorian and how it ends that is a cliffhanger and now people are craving more so I think that's what I'm hoping that people will get, that they want to know what happens. Sure, I would love for book sales to go up, but as someone that worked in the comic industry, I know Marvel movies do millions of dollars, but do books go up? No. But the goal is to have people be interested, still have word of mouth, as he's making Cleopatra. I'm predicting Zendaya as Cleopatra. Just putting that out there. <laughs> You know, you never know. Directors like working with the same actors and actresses. But the goal Simon, is... Simon, I'm, I'm going to blame you now. My expectations are <laughs> person day and it doesn't happen. Um, I'll go back and I'll George Lucas this and I'll edit this part out when the cast is announced. But I think the goal is to get people's attention still interested in Dune long after it's out theatrically, long after it's out you know, on on video or home demand or whatever it's called nowadays. But the goal is people still interested, 
and they come back to it and be like, oh, I remember Dune. I really liked the first one. I can't wait for part two. One thing I wanted to, to ask ask you, Johnny, like th- think, thinking about um, the the genre of, of science science fiction and potentially fantasy in, in general, when it comes to critics' reviews, uh, should we be looking at those differently? Because I mean, like if if you look at as an overall the the, the breadth of uh, of science fiction movies, there are some like really great ones there. But if you compare to to other genres, there there is a lot less of science fiction and fantasy in, in general out there. Yeah. Um, so you mean as in like how the mainstream feels about like the genre, I guess. Yeah. Um, from the critic critics perspective, because like, if you look at, for example, yeah. action films, there, there's, yeah, there, the genre is much deeper. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, you know, science fiction in general is a niche genre. It's not, you know, and it's funny to say, because star Wars is one of the most popular things <laughs> ever. Um, but That's a very specific, I mean, it's, you know, you can make the arguments not technically science fiction, which I would probably agree with, but um, yeah, it's, I, I think people are a little bit more averse to the genre than they are going into even, you know, some, some superhero movies could very easily be considered science fiction. And those of course still get rave reviews, especially the MCU, the Marvel ones, because that, that brand is just so strong and people love those characters and that studio, um, you know, for better or worse. Um, I think that was, again, something I really took heart in in a lot of the reactions and reviews that I have seen and read was that, you know, these people admittedly are not like science fiction gurus or anyone who has any sort of aptitude specifically for the genre. They just want to, they, they want a good movie or they want an entertaining blockbuster. They want something that's going to do something different. Um, and I think those sentiments, I think, are pretty easily reflected in, you know, fans or general audience as well. And I think that'll be, a, I think that'll make for a good translation as far as the, what we were seeing and hearing the positivity there and how people that are actually going to go and see the movie are going to feel about it. Um, I think even in the trailers so far that they've done a real good job as far as, you know, not making it into, you know, something that's just, you know, talking about inaccessibility, making it into something that you just can't quite wrap your head or like put your hands on. I think that they're making it very, um, relatable and they're making it to something that the, the, the uh, focus isn't necessarily on the most abstract and most, you know, strange aspects of the world. Show them, you know, show them the character, uh, you know, the actors that they know, show them people that they like, that they want to see in the movie, show them, um, you know, big VFX, show them spectacles, show them action, show them sword fights, all that stuff. Um, once you get them into the theater <laughs> and they, they still get all of that, but they're going to get the weird, strange, it kind of mesmerizing and, and hypnotic elements of Dune and, and things that I think Villeneuve does a very good job of bringing into his films. Show that there. I think once you get the entire package, everything in context, it's going to be very difficult, I think, for most people walking out to be like, well, I, I didn't like that movie or I, I was not entertained or I was not at all, you know, invested or immersed in that. I think people, the vast majority, you know, general audience or critics or not, I think are going to walk out and think, well, that was really like different. Like that was impressive. Like I would like to see more of that. I would watch a show kind of set in that world. I would watch it. You know, I want part two. I would like to watch 
the, the rest of this with these characters in this world. Um, Cause it is, while it is familiar to things that I'm familiar with and I am a fan of and that I have nostalgia for, whether it be Game of Thrones, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, this is different enough. And um, Robbie Collins, who I think wrote uh, for the guardian gave it 100 uh, out of one, you know, 100 perfect score. He said, or the telegraph rather is what he writes for. He said, something very telling, I think, toward the end of the paragraph talking about part two. He said, you know, a lot rides on this, you know, talking about the budget and talking about, you know, they're going to they're gonna want to see some sort of metric for success and talking about, are people going to want to go see this? And he said, kind of like in a post Game of Thrones world, you know, maybe if this Dune movie had come out in 2010, we'd be, we'd be having a lot tougher <laughs> uphill climb. But we're 10 years on from that more than 10 years. And in that interim, you know, game of Thrones has been one of the biggest pop culture phenomenons ever, especially in the world of, uh, you know, visual media. And I think, you know, that's a deep complex world that no doubt has taken inspiration from Dune and, you know, people loved that. They loved the different houses and focusing on what made the, those factions different. They loved, you know, getting into the uh, the intricacies of the mythology and the history and and, and the lore and everything. Um, so yeah, I think this is really a good time for it. And I think uh, that sci-fi, Dune is sci-fi, no question. It's probably the greatest, you know, it's the greatest sci-fi novel ever written, but they're doing this in just the right way to make it not this wall, this barrier that's going to have, you know, a tough entry for some people. I think everything we're hearing and everything that I was expecting has kind of come to fruition, hopefully. And still have to see the movie for myself, of course, still have to see what people think about it, fans, when they see it in some of the European countries, some of the Asian countries in the next couple of weeks. But um, I'm just really optimistic. And I think that that aspect that you mentioned and kind of we're asking about won't be a, a detriment. The last point I wanted to touch on in, in relation to, I guess, the, the genre or, or the, the, the source material, uh, so I think it's it is really important to see all these these different um, opinions from from people who have read the book, from people who haven't read the book, from people who have been fans for for a long time, for for people who are just learning about this because of the the trailer. I think that there, there's there's a lot of merit to seeing all these these different opinions and views. Um, but having said that, when when you look at the critics' reviews, like uh, reviews that really want to go in depth and like analyze every aspect of of the movie and like understand. Uh, like the the history and, and the context, I, I do think it, it is important for uh, at least those those really in depth reviews that want to give a complete overview to to have that that knowledge. Um, so I think uh, as mentioned, like all all these reviews, they they, they make valid points. Uh, some of them they're they're more opinion based. Some of them they they go into um, like uh, various uh, aspects, whether it's the the acting, the the score, and and talk about that. Um, but I, I do feel like in order to get that that complete, um, I guess the the complete idea of of what this this movie means, I do think it's important to have that 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 knowledge of, of the book and potentially the, the whole series, so that you can understand um, like um, you know where where this is this is all going through, and then I think that there you can can give uh, tell a complete narrative about uh, how how this movie succeeds or or doesn't in adopting the, the book. Uh, like like what one review um, that th that I was looking at from uh, GameSpot um, uh, mentioned that uh, overall they, they said uh, Denise Villeneuve's Dune is the best possible adaptation of the classic sci-fi novel. 
but it's it's interesting because they they listed the positives and the and the negatives. And of course, uh, on on Twitter, like everybody immediately latches on on the neg- negative. Uh, one of the things they they mentioned, like the original story, it relies on the familiar white savior tropes. So. I mean, without going into like all the details of what comes later in in that book and later in, in series, that, that's that's obviously not the case. So I think yeah. as as a as a critic, if you're going to bring bring up that point, uh, then I think it it is important that you have that that full context in order to go yeah. deep in those those yeah. discussions. Uh, on that GameSpot interview uh, in, uh, review, though, at the end they do say. Uh, Villeneuve has said that he views Dune's larger story as a rebuttal to, of the white savior trope. Uh, this may not come across in this chapter, but I'm inclined to give the visionary director the benefit of the doubt, and we'll see where this tale goes. So at least they acknowledge the fact that, you know, the director doesn't see it as that uh, type of story. I'm going to say to the person that wrote the GameSpot uh, review is pick up the books. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Pick up the books. Don't wait for part two. Be ahead, and you might want to go back and rethink what you wrote. Yeah. Well, I, I had White Savior on my June bingo card, so I was happy to. Take you that. did. You did. I did see that. <laughs> be really clear here that this is this is not about being an elitist and saying that like oh you have to read the book in order to. To give a view, but it's it's a it's really about when you're reviewing, like specifically this movie. That there's a lot more history. It's, it's not like you're reviewing like a new like action blockbuster or a fully original story that was written for the screen. There there is a whole history uh, behind it. And sure, you you can re- review just what's there on the on the screen, but uh, there there's so much uh, more deeper that than you can go like when you're like going into the source material and understanding the, the history about it, knowing about what the author was, um, uh, was, was intending, um, uh, under, understanding like where, where these characters are, are, are heading, what are the messages, what does it mean to the society? So, so yeah, like uh, I, I think if, if people go into Dune part one and they, they enjoy like all this, uh, this fantastic world building, they enjoy the setting, they enjoy the, the characters and they, they come out of there after two hours, 35 minutes and they've, you know, they, they've had a great enjoyable time. That That's great. And then they, they can come back and watch Dune part two. Uh, but I think, most of all, like Dune is something that that has messages for for uh, society in the past and society today, and I I really hope that uh, you know people start to get into that, and then that that comes more to play in Dune Part Two. Hey Marcus, I I want to just underscore what you just said right there. Um, again, back to Lord of the Rings. The success of Lord of the Rings is that everybody on your street liked Lord of the Rings, but only one person read the books, right? So. Um, Mm. I read the books as a teenager and I absolutely loved the movies, but, uh, you know, my, my wife at the time, she had never read the books and would never read the books and she loved those movies. Right. So, so yeah, we don't want an elitist, uh, dynamic going on here. We want, you know, the success of, of sci-fi films comes when people who may not necessarily like sci-fi really get attached and, and love a film like that. And to that point, uh, Glenn Kenny in RogerEbert.com mentions, if you're not a Dune person, these listings, and he's referring to a lot of the allusions to other films and, and like Lawrence of Arabia and other things. If you're not a Dune person, these listings uh, sound like gibberish. And if you will read the other reviews complaining about how hard 
to follow this. It's not. If you pay attention and the script does a good job with the exposition without making it seem like exposition. So again, you know, David Lynch had a really hard time. He had to do that introduction with Princess Irulan, right, to give everybody kind of a sense of direction of this film. What I love about this review uh, by Glenn uh, Kenny is that we're just experiencing and we're absorbing that exposition as we're experiencing the film. It, it's not, you know, it, as much as I'm, you know, a fan of, of the original Blade Runner, you know, we didn't want to have to have that voiceover, right? Um, that that's not always a good sign of good storytelling and filmmaking. Um, so, so the fact that uh, this review is telling us that we're going to experience the film, but at the same time, we're going to be understanding and learning about these these houses, these cultures, the political, religious dynamics of it, uh, I think that's a great sign. I think something that we saw in the preview, the 10-minute preview at the IMAX, right away, we're introduced to the world and you understand what goes on. You know, I, I don't want to say they dumb it down for the audience, but they kind of introduced us to the world without spending 20, 30 minutes of pointless like hey this is what you need to know no it's right in your face it's action-packed and it feels really warm and sincere from Zendaya's voiceover so I think Grant I've seen as much as you guys seen and I think it does a great job introducing us to the world of Dune and what is going on yeah I, I'm I'm st I still want this uh, Dune terminology to um, to make a comeback <laughs> I think I think that should be included in the uh, home video release. Yeah, so I think uh, at the end of the day, we've we, we've looked at all all these different reviews, and I I, I think it's justified to feel feel really excited. There, there's there's a lot of positivity here, uh, enthusiasm. Uh, so I think that this this really really bodes well for the for the future of the of the movie and its its upcoming uh, theatrical releases. So let's um, actually jump into some other news uh, coming out of uh, the Venice Film Festival. So, uh, of course, uh, the, the whole cast was was there, and uh, they, they had uh, several interviews. So I'll start with with you, Mark, uh, from the press conference, which uh, you kindly up, up, uploaded uh, all the different uh, segments from. Uh, what what was your main main takeaway? Was was there any of the questions that really stood out to you? Uh, the one about the hairstyles, I thought that was very... No, <laughs> if anyone has seen that, that, that was a bit of a recurring joke in the uh, press conference. Um, I'll, I enjoyed the question about the sandwalk, um, which was a very short question and a, a nice answer by Timothy Chalamet, uh, just about the, the choreography that went into that. It wasn't just them, oh, just walk arrhythmically across the sand. They actually got... A proper choreographer to develop that walk, um, which we kind of see in one of the TV spots or trailers, but it's kind of a, a sweeping motion, an arc with one of the legs uh, when they're walking. Um, so that was a, a nice insightful one I thought about the making of it. Um, but uh, yeah, there was uh, questions about the relationship between Leto and Jessica uh, which I thought was uh, some nice interaction there uh, from the cast uh, talking about how they, a lot of the time that they spent together working out that relationship off camera before putting it on screen and, and what 
what they thought that that relationship was, you know, what true love was that enabled Jessica to betray the sisterhood in that way. Garen, did you see those uh, interviews? Um, I'm not sure which one you're referring to, um, but along the lines of the, the Sandwalk, I, I liked the interview where they talked about uh, the sign language that they developed for the film. And uh, again, I, I love the fact, in fact, again, back to David Lynch, I, I, re I remember when Jessica and Paul are running across the sand in that film, and I'm like, I don't know if they're really... I kind of see some rhythm there. You know, it didn't really feel <laughs> yeah. authentic to me, you know. But the fact that they're, you know, Denis is, is looking at the very finest of details, you know, like the sandwalk or, or like the, you know, the, the hand uh, uh, language, sign language. Uh, I just think that's just a, an act of artistic love, right? And that comes across. Those of us that love films and we love filmmaking, we appreciate that kind of thing because it feels real, feels like it's a real place. I was going to mention real quick, I did not expect, uh, you know, Benjamin Millipede to uh, come up in this. And that's that's the uh, the choreographer who came up with the the walk and that Natalie Portman's husband, they met making Black Swan, which she also choreographed. So the fact that they got like a world-class, um, you know, dance choreographer to help them design you know, the, the walk, like, it's just, it just is unreal. Like every, every new interview or every, you know, conference or whatever comes up, there's some now like new, like kind of shockingly intricate, like bit of information that comes up. Um, and it just really goes, I, I just cannot wait to see this movie. Like this, this is all around from every element from the sound to the the effects and, and the cinematography and the production design and, and the way they just did everything. Um, it's just, it really seems like, again, I have followed just be, so many movies and have studied so many movies. And this is just, I mean, without a doubt, one of the most finely and intricately um, designed movies ever, I think. Um, and you, you would want no less for Dune, I think. And I think the conference, the things that they talked about went into. And, and not only I should highlight at the press conference, which I did watch in an entirety, they talked about that sand thing, which is kind of a funny little like, you know, detail of design as far as like the dance, you know, choreography goes, but they also talked about Oscar Isaac, I thought gave some of the best answers and Rebecca Ferguson gave some of the best answers at the conference. And that, and what they were talking about was the characters and, you know, their kind of inner, feelings but also their relational feelings and how you know oscar you know oscar isaac is duletto for example and then with rebecca ferguson as lady jessica their relationship and how they they kind of how they decide to parent and how they um how their own kind of courtship you know is carried out and what that is like because it's not a marriage of course but you know you know how much do they lead on and let on as far as what the plan is and and certain things in that nature and so just to know, and that's something I really love is that they highlight and they focus so much on all the technical aspects, but the stuff that you hear them talking about for the acting and for the actual character work that they had to do on set, Oscar Isaac mentioned that anytime a question came up or anytime that they really had to think about, well, what should we do in this scenario? They, they had the book on set, like Denis would just pull out the book and be like, okay, well, this, this can inform this aspect of it. Uh, and, you know, we can pull from that. Um, I think that just goes to show the 
the very even keel, perfectly, you know, pitch perfect uh, uh, approach that they took with this in every single aspect. I think that was very impressive. And I thought the press conference, yeah, it was fun overall. Um, they're talking about the hair and, and trying to, the person that asked about the, the sand walk tried to get Timothy Chalamet to do it. And he was like, eh, I'm not your monkey up here to dance, but, uh, I thought that was, I thought that was uh, appropriate. One thing I took, uh, away from the press conference and I haven't seen all of it. I've seen only just clips here and there. Uh, first of all, come on, let's get the sand walk, uh, trending on TikTok because, you know, <laughs> Chalamet wants us to do that. Uh, it felt like the cast had a really good time and they understood. And Denis was the human Wikipedia for, you know, if they needed any film set. I pictured Denis' copy of Dune being highlighted with like a bunch of post-its with a little bunch of cliff notes all over the place. Uh, also, just a random thought, Timothy Chalamet speaks perfect French. As someone that grew up in France and it is my native language, I was like, Wow. I hope he does the voiceover for the French version, but I think they got another actor, which is weird. You would think he would dub his own self. But overall, I was at work mostly all day yesterday, so I didn't get to experience all of Dune Italy fandom and all that, so I missed a lot. Um, it just seems like they had a good time, and it doesn't seem forced, like... Yes, we had a great time making this movie. Thank you, Warner Brothers. Please make a part two so I can get paid again. It seemed like they enjoyed themselves. They, it also seemed like a lot of the cast learned from Denis. They learned if they had any questions, they would go see Denis. Simon makes a great point. Is the, the general sense of the feeling, not just that they have now answering these questions, but the feeling that they all claim and seem to have had on set and making the movie then, you know, they talk about it was just like a really like positive, like familial atmosphere and the relationships were like really strong. I mean, Timothy Chalamet at the press conference said that he, you know, considers them, you know, the cast his brothers and sisters now. And um, it just feels, cause I know Blade Runner 2049, that was a film that I also followed like really closely. And Ronnie, do you like that movie? I'm, I'm not sure if you like Blade <laughs> Runner 2049. I sh <laughs> sure enough. Um, but the thing with that movie is that and no doubt, I think Dune, you know, Denis, he has said multiple times now that this is the most difficult thing I've ever had to do. Like it, it artistically, this is the most challenging project I could have ever imagined. Um, but the things that I have heard and the things that I have seen regarding 2049, that production just seems like a very, like very, uh, like stressful and not like, you know, not like negative or like toxic in any way, but like very much like business and like getting it done and like having a lot of pressure to live up to the hype and to take on like the legacy of the original, which everyone, you know, has such high regard for. Um, I think with that movie, you know, Denis had never done a movie of that scale before. I think that probably added to that pressure and to that stress and, and, and that element of it. Here, he obviously he has that experience and that certainly helps and probably makes his job a little bit more enjoyable. But also having that childhood, you know, and teenage kind of foundation for Dune, I think, you know, while it may have been incredibly difficult, I think that he just found so much more joy in this and engaging with the actors and, you know, having them kind of bring to life like his own, again, childhood, like vision and, and, and ideas for it. I think that 
you know, everything I've heard seems like really positive and not like anyone was like, Oh God, like it was just the most stressful, like miserable. Like I, I, you know, it just, you don't get that like sense in any way, even if they did want to try and like paper over something, you know, Zendaya also said at the press conference, I was only there for a few days, you know, I didn't shoot a lot, but as soon as I got there, they just brought me in and it felt just really comfortable. And I, you know, she had, you know, a really positive experience with the cast and the crew and Denis himself. So, um, I think that's just more incentive, I think, to want to do a part two, of course. Uh, the, the last thing that I wanted to to bring up from, from that was um, uh, so, some of the questions that both uh, Javier Bardem and Denis Villeneuve answered about the ecological aspect of, of Dune and, and you know, the, the messages that, that are there and how important it is to, to the, the situation that in, in our world today. And so I want to go back to my earlier point. I, I, I think first, first and for, foremost, like uh, people will go into Dune Part One, and it's going to be like a spectacle on the screen. It's going to take them to to a different world, and uh, yeah, ho- hopefully that everybody will will come out that they're enjoying it, and uh, you know, looking forward to to the new movie, and that enthusiasm will will carry carry over. Um, but uh, touching to to the point that Dune has a lot of important themes that that, that speak speak to. Uh, uh, to us uh, today, just just as much as it spoke to the, to the people sixty years ago when when the book was was first published. So I hope that the, the next step, you know, after people have enjoyed the movie, that that they do like look further into, you know, what is the message of this movie? That they do pick up the book, and there, there's so much wisdom there. Uh, and I, I hope that by this movie becoming a hopefully a enormous uh, success. Um, uh, everywhere uh, that that releases it will like bring more attention to, to all that uh, important aspects that that Frank Herbert originally wrote, wrote about and now uh, Denis Villeneuve is bringing that that vision uh, to the big screen yeah you know, real quick I'll, I'll chime in on that just real quick uh, sorry Simon um, the you're talking about the book and people like embracing the book because of the movie hopefully after they think about it they want to go and investigate further um, I think that's something we're already seeing quite a bit, I think, um, just with regard to the book. Uh, you know, uh, Brian Herbert has tweeted out several times in the last couple of weeks, you know, it's, you know, on this best-selling list right now, it's, you know, skyrocketing over here. Like it's doing really well audiobooks and things like that. If you go on Amazon, it's been on, you know, their most read list for like almost a year, like 30 weeks or something like that. Um, and you know, it's number seven right now for the most read books on Amazon. It's number 10 for the most, you know, best-selling books on there. Um, so again, not, not only are people buying it, you know, out of interest, but they're actually sitting down and reading it, uh, which is important. Um, and so that's, that's really heartening. Again, people are embracing the book. They're that interested, not only in the movie, but also what Frank Herbert had to say. You know, one thing I would love, there's so many, you know, philosophy and Batman philosophy and Star Wars. What about a philosophy and Dune book explaining the the messages behind, you know, Dune? And I, I think we have someone on this show. Mark would be great to write that book. Oh, wait. Hold on. Mark has something. He already has it on his bookshelf. Yep. I can find it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's so much to excavate out of this story. <laughs> now, there's a, I've got a science of Dune book, and I think someone's done a philosophy of Dune, but I don't think I've got that one to hand. Mark, you should write it. <laughs> <laughs> so let's jump to our last uh, story for today, uh, which is 
the Dune sketchbook, music from the soundtrack by Hans uh, Zimmer. So uh, on the same day that uh, we had the the world premiere of the Dune movie at uh, at, at Venice, uh, this first uh, of three um, three albums uh, from Hans Zimmer was was released. So you can um, you can find it now on on all the major music services, uh, whether you use uh, Spotify, Apple Music, uh, Amazon, and uh, the tracks are also on on YouTube. So uh, if you haven't uh, had a chance, uh, listen to that. Uh, so let me start with you, Garen. I'm sure you've already listened to that uh, some amount of times. So what's what's your impression of this uh, this first album? Yeah. Uh, so as you might be, uh, you you might have anticipated. I really have listened to it pretty much nonstop uh, since I saw that it was released on on Apple Music. Um, what I with any soundtrack, with any adaptation of of source material that you love there is a little element of, of adjustment, right? Um, and, and I'm actually a fan of, of the Toto soundtrack from the, from the old Lynch film, but this is, this is a completely different universe from that. Um, and, and what I found is I could almost feel Denise's interpretation of the story in the music. And I know that sounds a little, little out there, but um, Hans Zimmer is just a master and the way he's using not only familiar instruments and, and music that evokes so much emotion, but there's this fascinating like vocal stuff going on in a lot of these tracks, even, even sounds and languages I'm not familiar with. So I just think the level of creativity is just through the ceiling on this stuff. And um, all these tracks are very different um, it's it's a little bit different than something like a Star Wars or Lord of the Rings where you kind of have an, an often recurring theme going on. It's there, but it's so it's so diverse. All the tracks are so diverse. It just feels like Hans Zimmer himself was just diving headfirst into this new foreign world. And uh, it's just fantastically recorded. Uh, the, the, the instruments are are very unique. Some of them are very Middle Eastern. And I, I just think that is going to add so much to the experience of watching this film. And, you know, those of us here, we've, we've seen the first 20 minutes and, and again, it doesn't overshadow anything, but it adds so much to the emotion and the connection to what you're seeing on the screen. So uh, I love that some of these reviews are saying this is some of Han's best work ever and uh, I, so far, I, I don't disagree with them. The Hans Zimmer soundtrack, uh, amazing. Uh, I've had it on constant repeat as well. Uh, I'm pretty sure we all have. Uh, and we've got two more soundtracks to come as well, which is even more exciting. Uh, but yeah, the, as, as, as you said, you know, it's not a John Williams score. And I love John Williams score. You know, Empire Strikes Back is one of my all-time favorite soundtracks. Um, but this is very distinct, very unique. Um, you can't hum along to it necessarily. Um, but I love the electronic bagpipes that come in as well, which um, we know that there's bagpipes in June. We've seen pictures of that in the tra one of the trailers. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what else to say. It's just fantastic and hopefully Oscar winning for Hans Zimmer. Couldn't agree more. I think you guys have both said it really well. Um, you know, I've been saying, I mean, Hans Zimmer, 
has been one of the biggest, I think, talking points of this movie for a while, ever since he first said, you know, well, I was going to do Tenet. You know, I, I love working with Christopher Nolan, but then I heard about Dune. And Denis, I think, it was it at the press conference, I think? He said it was Hans Zimmer was the first artist that he had talked to and got involved with Dune because uh, they were working on 2049. And he mentioned Dune was coming up as a you know a possibility. And, uh, you know, you can tell that he loves Dune and you can tell that he go, it goes back a long ways for him. Um, and he has talked about it at length now in several interviews, just saying, you know, I've gone back to the source material, Denis and I have talked about it at such a length. And, um, yeah, I was, he was just so greatly inspired. And I think that comes through in every single track, uh, on this. And it's such a, I just can't believe that he, he wrote so much music and came up with so much music for this movie that we are indeed getting three albums. And I'm just so excited. I mean, we're two weeks from yesterday, the premiere two weeks from then is when we get the full actual film score to listen to. So not only is that really exciting because it's the full actual thing and that will inform our, you know, expectations of the movie maybe a little bit more but you know it's so you know it's not a very long period of time at all so that's something that for us to look forward to um i it is again i was anticipating this to be a very experimental and, and different sound for him and i mean there there are definitely parts I and mean, it has a zimmer feel to it in some respects i mean it's certainly nothing like inception or interstellar really when it comes to the you know the sonic qualities of it or like the production but it uh it, it's just so like daring and and interest it's like a it's almost like uh it doesn't sound like any film score i can really like think of i mean blade runner 2049 has some he, he worked with benjamin walfisk on that and i think walfisk probably took the reins in a lot of ways just because you know hans Zimmer's so busy all the time um but there are certain like electronic elements to that and like the synths and things that they use that you can kind of get hints of it here. But I mean, this is like that on like acid, like it's, uh, or on spice, I guess, uh, for the, the parts of this movie, but like, it's just very, it's not like a film score. Some people I've seen compare like, it does sound kind of like almost like a, like a rock album, like a, like a prog rock album to some extent, the way that the tracks like, they just go on for like 10, 15 minutes. And the, the, the album itself, there's only nine tracks, but it's like an hour and a half long. Um, it's just really exciting. I love it. I think the two that have stood out to me, the or maybe the three that really just pop into mind that I like listening to the most so far is the first track, uh, the song of the sisters, I think is what it's called, um, which is super alien and like creepy. And, you know, it's, I, I would imagine it's supposed to be Bene Gesserit inspired to some extent. Um, super creepy. Uh, and then I think the moon over Caladan, that's another one where, um, you know, I had mentioned this on Twitter, but it's like, I think it's like the most like outright, like beautiful composition uh, of the track where it's just like, I mean, you can see it inspires a lot of imagery. Um, and, and it's almost like a fairy tale esque quality to it. And then, um, mind killer, I think is the one where it just is really like the most the kind of visceral, and it is alien in a lot of ways, but it's also like, hor like horrible, like in a great way. Like it's just kind of like this horror movie quality to it, which I really like admire. Um, it's like you shouldn't want to listen to it because it's so like abrasive, but it, it really is like it's hypnotizing in a lot of ways. And I just my only hope as much as I love this album is that the score takes a lot from it and you hear a lot of it in there. 
um, and can be just as good, if not better than this, because this is obviously a high bar, I think we can agree. Yeah, I mean, I've had it on in the playing in the background and normally with the music in the background, it's there and I, you don't really pay attention. And every so often it's like, what in the world is happening? <laughs> My speakers, it's like, unlike anything I've heard before, uh, it really captures your attention. Unfortunately, like I said, I was at work yesterday and I pretty much came home and tried getting some sleep because I know we were doing this earlier. So I haven't got a chance to listen to it. I do have it saved in my Spotify playlist, so I am going to listen to it. Uh, I also am happy that it's not the full score because I don't want to be spoiled. Like I've said in a previous episode, I feel like moot. Awesome filmmaking involves everything. And hearing the music in for the first time in the theater while you're watching the film for the first time, I feel is part of the experience. So I still get goosebumps every time I hear that very Middle Eastern, you know, vibe that we saw in the second trailer, even in little TV spots. And yes, I am a fan of the Toto soundtrack also. It's amazing. It holds a special place in my heart. My brother tells me all the time it's dated, it's campy, but you know what? It was the 80s. I love it. As a little boy in France, I was like, wow, super. Guys, I don't know if this is I don't know if this is right, but um, I have listened to this album a lot. And there is one song, there's one track, and I don't know which one it is, where I actually hear a sequence of notes that sounds like something from the Toto soundtrack. Mark, I yeah, don't know if you know where that is, but every time um, I feel like there's that part in, in the Toto soundtrack that is in here. Yeah, Hans Zimmer said he's never seen the Lynch film right. because he didn't want to be influenced. But yes, I, I, I can't remember which track it is, but I think it's right at the start. And it feels as if it's about to go into a Toto or Brian Eno uh, <laughs> track. Um, I know exactly what you're talking about. There's definitely, I think there's undeniably like an 80s feel to some of these tracks and like just the music like it's hard to describe like I, I would never dare try to describe it. i'm not like a musical uh, expert by any means but it does like there are some that have like an 80s it feels and i haven't even i have not seen the lynch film um i have heard little bits and pieces of the music uh but i can i can definitely i can see what you guys are, are talking about remember i'm tone deaf so my opinion might not count at all like, my girlfriend gives me crap all the time that I can't sing. She's like, does music sound different since you can't sing and you're tone deaf to an average person? I'm like, I don't know. I like what I like. So <laughs> I will listen to it before we do the next show. And one of the influences, I'm not sure if, if that was an influence, but like th thinking back to, to some of the, um, yeah, I don't don't even know how you would classify the the. The, the genre even is it's so so broad but like thinking of some, some of the albums like uh, enigma or delirium so so th th there's some, some of the things that that i've heard in the past like basically where where there, there are these these alien sound sounding um uh sounds and you have the the really powerful uh female uh, vocals uh so i i do it did remind me of, of, of that to, to one one aspect and in, in the same way, like uh, of those um, had a feeling that you're taking this journey of, among all these different cultures in, the, in this, this vast universe. So, so that, that, that I definitely, uh, definitely enjoyed. Um, yeah, I mean, what, going what Johnny said about uh, prog rock, I think, you know, it's very much Pink Floyd, you know, 
15 minute tracks uh, you've got vocal female vocals like great gig in the sky um yeah i think uh, pink floyd is a bit of an influence on hans zimmer for this score perhaps uh that was our show that was uh dune talk for for this week uh yeah re really lot to 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 look forward to as the movie is uh is going to be hitting theaters in in less than two weeks from now so uh, uh stay tuned for some some more exciting uh movie news and um and hopefully uh, more uh, more fan reviews as well coming up uh so let's start with you mark uh, th thanks for joining us on this uh saturday evening uh where can people find you uh, yeah, uh, glad to be here again. Thanks for inviting me back. Uh, people can find me at June Info on uh, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and JuneInfo.com for the website. Johnny? Yeah, uh, great to be you know, back on. I love doing these, and this is the, you know, I think it's the most excited we've probably been in uh, maybe the entire time, just because we know that things are looking good. Um, yeah, and uh, thank I gotta thank everyone for listening and watching too. I, I don't think I've done that yet, and I've I have gone on to YouTube and I've seen some of the comments, and they're really uh, very kind. So I appreciate that. You can find me on Twitter, of course, as usual. Johnny Sobchak um, is my handle. Letterbox as well. If you want to go check me out there, if you just look Johnny Sobchak up anywhere, it'll probably be one of the, the main people to pop up. Karen, you can find me on Twitter at Dune Companion and also at DuneCompanion.com and. Thanks to everyone for, for joining us. We, we have such a fun time doing this, but it's even more fun to imagine that all of you are with us on this journey. So thanks. Simon? Um, I just want to state for the record, I officially have a better beard than Oscar Isaac now. <laughs> um, I'm, thank you, everyone. Like, honestly, every time I look and I refresh YouTube and I see people watching it and commenting, it means a lot. Like, Thank you to everyone that started following me on Instagram. You can do that at SDowdy. Um, I got a couple of Dune fans that listen to the show or watch it, and they're just like, thank you for putting out the show. And we love doing this. We love, we love Dune. We might not be as much as fans as Denis, but we also don't have the budget of Denis, or else, you know, we would make this more elaborate for you guys. But thank you, honestly. And only a couple more weeks, and then... A month and a half for for the rest of us. <laughs> yeah, totally. And this was uh, Marcus Gabriel. You can find me at dunewsnet.com and dunewsnet on uh, Twitter and Instagram. So thank you all for joining and look forward to talking to you next week. We hope you've enjoyed Dune Talk. Remember to like, subscribe, and turn on notifications so you know when the next episode drops. Stay tuned to DuneNewsNet.com and add us to your social feeds. Be the first to hear breaking news and reviews.